Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you here. We are looking at St. Matthew's Gospel this morning, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. So I'd encourage you or invite you to turn there in your Bible or take a Bible out from under your pew. Or if you have Scripture on your device, that's cool as well. So today is the Feast of the Transfiguration. It is always on the church calendar the Sunday before we begin Lent, the Sunday immediately preceding Ash Wednesday. And at first glance, it may seem like a disconnect that this event that momentarily revealed Jesus in all of his eternal glory is then followed by the start of Lent. But as I think we will see today, this is not a disconnect at all. Instead, it is quite an appropriate sequence of things on our church calendar. If we back up in Matthew's gospel and in Mark and Luke's gospels as well, if we were looking at them this morning, what immediately precedes the transfiguration is significant for our understanding of what takes place here in Matthew 17. If we back up to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, we have Peter's confession of who Jesus is. And I want to read that to really set the tone for all that takes place in Matthew chapter 17. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. this encounter between Jesus and his disciples is followed by Jesus speaking quite plainly to them, to those in his innermost circle. And he tells them at this time that very soon he indeed will suffer. He will be killed. And after three days, he will rise again. Jesus then also foretells of his second coming, And all of this is to the absolute horror and disbelief of his disciples. And now six days later, he takes Peter, James, and John by themselves up on a high mountain. We need to remember that these three, Peter, James, and John, they are Jesus' innermost circle, his closest friends and confidants. And while they don't know it yet, they are about to get a glimpse of who Jesus really is who he is as the eternal son of God in all of his glory. It's not a coincidence that this follows six days after the events that we just talked about that preceded it. Because six days is reminiscent of Moses' experience of God's glorious presence on Mount Sinai, which was part of our Old Testament reading this morning, where we read that Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. 
Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So now Jesus takes his three closest disciples up on a high mountain. And in Matthew 17, verse 2, we read, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So so what is going on here? Well, in a sense, the veil of Jesus' humanity is lifted. And they see him. They see Jesus for who he really is for all of time and eternity as God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. We need to remember that Jesus in coming to earth and what we call the incarnation is both fully God and fully man, fully human. St. Paul speaks of this in Philippians chapter 2 as Jesus came into this world where we read, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So Jesus at some level in becoming human has emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and yet he is still fully God. But now in this event here in Matthew 17, for a moment, the veil of his humanity, if you will, is lifted. And the brightness that these disciples see coming from Jesus is not some sort of divine light shining down on him. It's not that at all. It is his own glory, the glory of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, shining forth from Jesus, from his very being. I like what W.D. Davies and Dale Allison say on this text in their commentary of Matthew, on Matthew's gospel. The language implies not a mere illumination from without, but an irradiation from within a transient effulgence, so to speak, of the beams of divine glory through the veil of humanity. It is as if a veil covering Jesus and obscuring his glory is suddenly and momentarily lifted away. Then on top of all of this, Moses and Elijah appear. And we'll come back to them in a few moments. But can you imagine... But try to put yourself in the shoes of Peter and James and John. Peter, not knowing what to do, not knowing what in the world is going on, and being Peter says, let's build three tents for you. Peter's got to do something. But then God the Father envelops them in a cloud. Again, reminiscent of Moses on Mount Sinai, and yet different, because this is momentary, and it is a foretaste of what will ultimately come. Then, on top of all of that, the voice of the Father is heard saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We see this happening in a similar way at Jesus' baptism where God the Father speaks from heaven, heaven, affirming the eternal reality of who Jesus is. The eternal Son, not just in this moment, but the eternal Son for all time and eternity, past, present, and future. But what about the others? Why were they there? 
And why specifically Moses and Elijah? Well, there are three reasons why Moses and Elijah were there. And each of these reasons will teach us something about Jesus. And they give us, they give you and me an assurance that God is indeed at work and that his promises are yes and amen through Christ. So why Moses and Elijah? Well, the first reason is this. Because Jesus is the eternal son to whom all the law and the prophets point. Let me read that again. Jesus is the eternal son to whom all of the law and the prophets point. So to begin with, we are looking back. Moses points to the old covenant, the law. Remember, this event comes just before Jesus' passion, before his suffering and his death. And everything which the law, everything which the old covenant pointed toward, everything in temple worship and the bloody sacrificial system which God instituted, it all points to Jesus. So looking back, from that perspective, from the old covenant perspective, all of this points forward to this moment and to this person, Jesus Christ. And Elijah, well, he represents the Old Testament prophets and all that the prophets foretold is realized in and through Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Looking back, Jesus is the eternal son to whom all of the law and the prophets point. The second thing we see is that Jesus is the one who fulfills God's promises through his passion and death. That speaks of the present moment at that time. The transfiguration is a prelude to Christ's passion. Christ being lifted high on the cross is the defining moment in all of human time and human history. The law pointed forward to that moment. The prophets foretold it. We, from our perspective, look back to that defining moment. It's why in the words of the Nicene Creed, when we reach the part about the incarnation, we say for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Elijah's presence attests to the ultimate importance of what is coming and that this, the cross, is God's plan. That this is what the prophets foretold. Nothing has gone awry. This is indeed the next step. God's way of martyrdom was not just for his prophets. The sinless son of God himself must die the death deserved by sinful human beings. The prophet Isaiah foretold that very moment in Isaiah 53 where we read, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This had to be. Without it, the full consummation of God's kingdom would not be revealed. Without it, Christ's glory would not be fully revealed in the age to come. And without Christ's passion and death, 
you and I would never know and experience a living relationship with God or be able to rejoice at Christ's return. It is only by his passion and death, which dealt with our sin and rebellion, that any of this, any of this is possible. So we have that which looks back. We've spoke, we have that which spoke of the reality of the present moment. And finally, we have that which points forward in the transfiguration. And that is this. Jesus is the one who fulfills God's promises in anticipation of his kingdom coming in fullness. Let me read that again. That's a little bit of a mouthful. Jesus is the one who fulfills God's promises in anticipation of his kingdom coming in fullness. To quote New Testament scholar Craig Keener regarding the transfiguration, Jesus is the glorious Lord before whom all other heroes of the Bible must bow. His transfiguration in looking toward the future provides a foretaste of his glory that will be truly and lastingly revealed at his second coming when he will return to judge the peoples of the earth. The hidden glorious qualities of Jesus God the Son look forward to this moment. For those present at that moment and for you and me, the transfiguration is also a guarantee It is an assurance that all that God has promised will come to pass. That Jesus is indeed the promised new tabernacle. As Revelation reminds us, in that great day yet to come, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. For the former things have passed away. So in the transfiguration, We have looked back at God's work before Christ's coming to earth through the prophets and through the law. We have looked at his time dwelling among us here on earth. And we have looked to the future. So what are some applications for us that you and I can make for our lives right here and right now? Well, I would offer three to us this morning as we conclude. First, we are reminded that God is the author of human time and history. He has been at work since the creation of the world. He is working out his eternal purposes. Jesus' fulfillment of all the law and the prophets assure us of this fact, that God is indeed at work. He is accomplishing his will and his promises will come to pass. Second, Experiencing the full revelation of Christ's glory first required him walking the wilderness of his abandonment, suffering, and crucifixion. And he did that for you and for me. At just the right time, we're reminded, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Apart from this, we could never experience his glory or the fullness of his presence. This also assures us that during the wilderness seasons of our lives, and we all go through them, But during the wilderness seasons of our lives, God is still indeed at work. He's working things out in our best interest and on our behalf as his beloved children, as his beloved people. And even when we don't sense his presence, we can know that he is indeed at work in us and accomplishing his good pleasure. And then finally... While as Christians in this age of the new covenant, we do enjoy many many of the blessings and realities of Christ's kingdom, even here and now. 
we are reminded of the promise that there is a glorious day coming that will be without end. Jesus it will indeed return in glory and the entire world, every person who has ever lived will see him in the fullness of his eternal glory. For many, even most, that will be a terrifying and fearful moment. But for those of us who are truly in Christ, for those of us who are truly his, it will be a moment that inaugurates an entirely new age because Christ will finally and ultimately set the things of this fallen and broken world aright. And we will, because of our Redeemer, live in the light of his glorious presence forever and ever. The transfiguration points to this promise, this reality. It assures us of this and that this will indeed come to pass and that God's promises for us, for his people, for the future are assured because of what Christ did and because he is unchanging. He is indeed faithful and true. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the promise of the transfiguration. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. That he is the eternal son of glory and that he is coming again to set aright the fallen and broken things of this world. That he will restore all things, make all things new for us, his people, that we would dwell and live with him in his glorious presence in that place, that city that needs no light because he indeed is the light for all time and eternity. So Lord, strengthen us in that promise. Refresh to us the words of the Father that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And God, in this season, in these days, as we live our lives for your glory in this world, may we truly listen to him with hearts of obedience. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.